You know, last week I made the case that as Christians, we who are followers of Jesus need to embrace our true identity in Christ, that we are saints. It's a term that Paul frequently uses to describe the entire body of believers and not those special people who do just extraordinary things for God. Now, it's not a title that we have earned or deserved by our behavior. Rather, it has been given to us as a gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And if you remember from last week, the word saint comes from the Greek word hagios, which is often translated holy or set apart. But as I shared it with you, it is best to understand that word holy as dedicated. And that is essential for two reasons, as I shared. Reason number one, it acknowledges and affirms the complete work of Christ in his life, his death, his resurrection, and ascension. It is on this basis and this basis alone that we are called saints. We are the dedicated people of God. But reason number two, and this is where we're going to go today, it lays the foundation for how we live out and demonstrate Christ's kingdom presence in the world. And so, I invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this day about reason number two and the dedicated life. James Bryan Smith puts it this way, you'll never have a changed life until you have an exchanged life life. So saints, stand with me as we receive God's word for our lives today. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in the ninth verse, reading through the 14th verse. And so from that day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of sins. May God bless us in receiving his precious and holy word this morning. You may be seated. On July 5th, just a few weeks ago, the Gallup poll released a report entitled Confidence in U.S. Institutions Are Down, Average at a New Low. Now the reality is, is that may not surprise you, but the report highlighted these realities. That there's a significant decline in confidence for 11 of the 16 institutions that were tested. And that significant decline is defined as 5% or more. The average confidence across all institutions 
is now at a new low of 27%. The largest declines, not surprisingly, have occurred in the Supreme Court, with the Supreme Court down 11% and the presidency down 15%. Every institution experienced some decline except for one, and that was organized labor, which stayed the same. No institution increased in confidence. In 2022, the only two institutions that have confidence percentages higher than 50% is small business at 80, 68%, and the military at 64. Every other institution is below 50%. Now here we go. In 2022, the confidence in church slash organized religion stands at 31%, a drop of 6% from 2021, a significant decline. Now for most of the past decade, church organized religion has been in the 40s, 40s. In the 1990s, church in organized religion was in the 50s. In the, early, in the 70s and early 80s, church organized religion, in terms of the confidence of Americans, was in the 60s. We have dropped by 30 percentage points over the past 40 years. No wonder our American culture is in chaos and in crisis. No one trusts anyone. The reality is, is that in these findings, they probably don't surprise us. And of course, we as the church can blame the culture for any number of these things, and we can put together a list of excuses. But if we're honest with ourselves, and more importantly, honest with God, because he knows the reasons anyways, the decline has occurred because we look and act less and less like the kingdom of God and more and more like the world. When we interact with the world, we are often more like a prosecuting attorney or a judge rather than a witness, a testimony, or the demonstration of Christ's love in a broken, hurting world. And I believe that is why the question of our identity and how do I live out that identity makes all the difference in the world. As saints, we are the dedicated of people of God, by God and for God. The problem is that we've not walked out our lives in the, Paul, in the words of Paul to the Colossian church in a manner worthy of the Lord so that our lives are bearing fruit that are pleasing to him. Verses 9 through 12, Paul's prayer to the Colossian church, and I believe if he were here today, it would be his prayer to us. If we are to take seriously the word of God for our lives, then it is imperative we embrace Paul's prayer as our prayer. I believe this prayer so much 
that I've begun the process of memorizing it throughout this week because I want it planted in my heart and I want to encourage you to do the same. What I love about this prayer is that Paul states in verse 9 that we have not ceased to pray this prayer for you. In other words, day after day, every day of the week, every day of the month, Paul is praying this prayer for the saints, the dedicated followers of Jesus in the Colossian church. And I believe as a community of North Olmsted and the larger body of Christ throughout this country and throughout this world, Western culture Christians need to receive this prayer of Paul's to the church. Why has the confidence of the American people in the church continued to drop? Because for four, more than 40 years, the body of Christ has been walking and living more like the world rather than the manner worthy of the Lord. But as Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 6, our identity as saints is grounded in the reality that our allegiance is no longer to the world, but to Christ. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. We discover in the New Testament this concept of living in a manner worthy of the Lord that Paul similarly says to Christ followers in other regions and other churches. To the Ephesian church, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. To the Philippian church, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. To the church in Thessalonica, we exhort each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. As we consider this prayer, I want to begin by drawing your attention to four W's in verses 9 through 10. Will, wisdom, walk, and work. And here lies a simple but powerful reality. Knowing the will of God, hence the word of God, leads to the wisdom of God, which directs our walk with God, producing the work of God. The will of God leads to the wisdom of God that directs our walk with God that produces the work of God. So for a few moments this morning, I want to zero in on verses 9 and 10, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In these verses, Paul prays to the Colossian church and into us three attributes of growing and maturing, a growing and maturing Christian walk that makes a kingdom difference in the world. The three attributes are a filled life, a fully focused life, and a fruitful life. 
Let's consider each of these attributes. Paul begins by praying that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now keep in mind that most often when you see any form of the word to know as in knowledge, when you see that word in the scriptures, it's usually describing knowledge that is gained through experience and relationship. It is not simply the accumulation of facts and head knowledge. And so to be filled with the knowledge of his will and first and foremost is to be filled with God's written word. And it is to allow God's written word to to not only enter into our minds, but to shape our hearts and our lives in the way in which we relate and connect to God. And it's the reason why we need time to make sure that we're creating time to focus on those thoughts, those thoughts of our mind on God's word. In addition to my daily scripture reading, I create time often while I am driving or while I'm cycling to listen to podcasts that focus on spiritual formation. In other words, the craft of Christ being formed in me. I will often listen to these 10 to 15 minute inspirations from God's words several times so that my heart and my mind can marinate on them. We need as a church to stop microwaving God's word in our lives. Instead, let it marinate by meditating on it. And this marinating often lets me connect God's word with my experiences in my life so that they become knowing not just information, but knowing in relationship in the fullest biblical sense. Paul writes in the third chapter to the Colossian church, if you've been raised with Christ which we have been in Jesus Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. I want to share with you two podcasts that I listen to regularly. I don't know if you're into podcasts. Maybe you'll, you'll start... Um, you'll start a a new uh, exercise in your life. But the two podcasts I regularly listen to, one is James Bryan Smith, Things Above, rooted and grounded in Colossians chapter 3, and then Terry Wardle, who I've also had an opportunity to to sit under as as a teacher and a mentor, who does one entitled Sling Stones. Now, you can find these podcasts on Google or other podcast platforms. But whether it's a podcast or some other way, the question becomes, how are we marinating in God's Word so that it touches and reaches the experiences of our life and also our life with God? The filled life. 
Which leads us to attribute number two. It is the fully focused walk. Keep in mind that when Paul was writing this letter, most people who wanted to go from point A to point B, they walked. Walking was the primary mode of transportation for the average purpose person. And our focus is to walk out our lives in Christ in such a way that we reveal the character of Christ to the world. And in doing so, we will bring joy and pleasure to God. You know, Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you were once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, what I, the reason why I share that verse with you is because that word walk in Ephesians chapter 2 is different than the word walk in Colossians chapter 1. The word walked in Ephesians chapter 2 is a different Greek word that literally means to meander or wander. Now, have you ever seen someone meander through a shopping mall or a grocery store? Um, I believe you probably know somebody personally who likes to meander through stores. Some of you may be living with some of them. Aimless meandering Paul uses to talk about the life before Christ, purposeful, focused walk describes the life with Christ. The writer of Hebrews declares what are familiar words to many of us. Let us strip every weight that slows us down, every sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the races God has set before us, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I love that translation. Our kingdom influence in the world has waned over the decades. You could say for two reasons. First, we've lost our focus and we've turned our eyes from Jesus instead of... We've turned our eyes away from Jesus instead of on Jesus as a church. And second, we're not running the race that God set before us. Rather, we're running our own race or we're just meandering as we did before Christ. The church over the last four decades has traded the kingdom race for the world's race. The word worthy literally means to match up. In other words, to have a walk that is worthy is to have a life that matches up to our identity as the dedicated holy people of God. It means that our life is matched up to the life of Jesus Christ. 
So is our life matching up with the life of Christ? Do we spend time with, his, with, with our Heavenly Father as Jesus spent time with his Heavenly Father? Do we spend time with his disciples just as Jesus spent time with his disciples? Do we invest in the lives of those who are caught in the world just as Jesus spent time with those who are caught in the world? And this leads us to the third attribute, a fruitful life. Consider this, John 14, verse 9 and 11. Whoever has seen me has seen my Father. That's what Jesus says. Why? He goes on, because I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You want to know what the character of God is? Look at Jesus. But then Jesus says, whoever abides in me, I will abide in them. And then Jesus says, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you will bear nothing. Therefore, if Christ is dwelling in us and our lives are abiding in Christ and we live out our lives like Jesus did, others ought to see Jesus through us. And if they see Jesus, they ought to see God. It's imperative for us as the body of Christ to see that Paul in this prayer for the church connects walking worthy of the Lord with bearing fruit. Kingdom fruit bearing cannot happen apart from our walk worthy of the Lord. We need to stop. We need to stop making our prayer life primarily about what God can do for us and start in our prayer life asking what God, what God, asking God what we can do for him. You know, in Mark 14, 1, and verse Mark 1, 14, Jesus' first words of ministry, he declares this, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And if we are walking out our lives in Christ, if we are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, the world ought to see and experience the kingdom of God. But they won't see, see it if the body of Christ looks too much like the world and not enough like Jesus. It's not just the work we do for God. But more importantly, it is the work that God does through us. The fruitful life, and I want you to hear this, is God working through you to produce the fruit of Christ's character so that others will taste, sample, and experience the character of Christ. Let me say that again. The fruitful life is God working through you to produce the fruit of Christ's character so that others will taste, sample, and experience the character of Christ. The world, people who don't have a relationship with God, folks who don't know Jesus, people who have been burned and hurt by the church, people who are angry with God, and many of us, can put names to those folks. They need to be able to sample, taste, 
experience the true character of Christ through the fruit of our lives that comes when we are filled with God's word and focused in our walk with him. What kind of fruit are you offering the world? Is it the ripe fruit of Christ's character? Is it a fruit that is becoming spoiled by the world? Is it fruit that is completely rotten and has no evidence of Christ? Listen to the words of Peter and the impact Christ made on his life. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And I put in brackets, a filled life, a fully focused walk, a fruitful life. Through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness, Though through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. A filled life. A fully focused life a fruitful life. I want to close with a poem this morning by Sam Shoemaker. He is an Episcopal priest and a co-founder of AA. And I want to share this poem with you that I became acquainted with several weeks ago because I've come to realize that my children, many of my children, as they begin to walk into their adult world or through their adult life, are fulfilling the words of these, this poem. The poem is called, I Stand at the Door. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which people walk when they find God. There's no use of my going way inside and staying there when there are so many still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where a door ought to be. They creep along the wall like those who are blind with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find that door. So I stand at the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for the people to find that door, that door to God. The most important thing anyone can do is to take hold of one of those who are blind, groping hands and put it on the latch the latch that only clicks and opens to one's own touch. People die outside the door as starving beggars die, on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for want of what is within their grasp. 
They live on the other side of it. They live because they have found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it. And I open it and I walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints, go all the way in. Go way down to the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics. In the vast roomy house, this house where God is, go into the deepest of the hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit these inner rooms and know the depths and heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes I venture a little farther. But my place seems closer to the opening, so I stand by the door. The people too far in do not see how near these are to leaving. Preoccupied with the wonder of it all, somebody must watch for those who have entered the door, but would like to run away. So for them too, I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but so far from people as, but not so far from people as not to hear them. And remember, they are there too, where outside the door, thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I intended to put on the latch, so I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I had rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then Jason will lead us in our final song. And during that song, I want to invite anyone and everyone to come forward, to either kneel or to stand. Because for the benediction this morning, I want to pray Paul's prayer over the church and in particularly those that come forward who want to have that prayer just become the, the heartbeat of their life for the world that so desperately needs the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, I've made up 200 of these cards that are on the tables outside the atrium door. I encourage you to take one. Take two, share it and to put it in a place and to read it regularly and let Paul's prayer just fill our hearts and change our walk so that we might bear fruit for the world around us. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, 
my heart breaks. For the brokenness of this world. But my heart also breaks. Because the church of Jesus Christ in this, our culture, is struggling. to be the kingdom of God in this world. God, we can't change every church. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change us. And so I pray. Father, help us, help me to have that life that is filled with your word and your will. That life that is so fully focused in walking like Jesus. And that life that is so filled with the fruit of your kingdom. Father, may we be known by the fruit of your kingdom in this community. Through Christ who has set us free and called us to be the dedicated people of God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you.